Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to be discussing graveyard decks in uh, Murder Carl of Manor Limited. As always, the notes are available to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And because I'm looking at like a particular strategy rather than like a color pair, I'm going to be completely ignoring 17 lands stats and relying on my own experiences and theory for this because uh there's really it's very difficult to know what context people in aggregate on 17 lands are using these cards in and so it's hard to get a lot of like useful information on pursuing like a fairly narrow lane uh from the 17 lands data so i didn't even try to look at literally any information on 17 lands when uh, compiling my notes for this. Basically, what I mean by graveyard deck is a deck that is trying to uh, create an engine around cards, uh, in this case, leaving the graveyard to abuse the uncommons, insidious roots, and shock outline. Uh, technically, there's also the like minus four, minus four enchantment that uh, drains your opponent when a creature leaves, but that's not a meaningful payoff. It's just a removal spell with a nice little bonus that happens to play pretty well in this kind of deck. But Insidious Roots and Chalk Outline are the cards that can really reward you for having a deck that takes advantage of what they offer and can uh, win games when properly supported. So what I'm going to be talking about today is how to support those cards and what those decks are supposed to look like. So the advantage of building a deck around a powerful payoff uncommon like this is that when you get it going, the the um, uncommon gives you inevitability. What that means is that you get most of the power level that you need for your deck from that payoff uncommon, and so you don't need other really high impact cards. Of course, you would still like bomb rares, but you don't really need like just expensive creatures to finish a game or whatever. You can kind of assume that given enough time and your deck, if your deck's able to do its thing, it's going to go way over the top of whatever your opponent's doing. Insidious Roots does that by itself more than Chalk Outline does because every additional trigger of Insidious Roots grows all of the previous plants. And so it gets like way more explosive. Like if you know that you're going to activate either one of them three times, Chalk Outline is much more impactful than Insidious Roots. But if you know that you're going to activate either of them 10 times, Insidious Roots is much more powerful than Chalk Outline. So the better your support is, the more you would prefer Insidious Roots. That also means that the barrier to entry in terms of like making Chalk Outline playable is actually lower than the barrier to entry on Insidious Roots relative to each of their absolute power levels. If it is the case that Insidious Roots is just a much better card than Chalk Outline, then it is possible that Insidious Roots would be better at all points, but I don't quite think that that's true, um, though I'm not precisely sure exactly how strong each card is relative to each other is and like at what point the difference in one direction or another is how big. I think most of that doesn't really matter because the reality is 
that you want both of them if you're going to be in a position to support either and having more of them is better once you're doing it because they're basically the strongest thing once you can uh, have all the support to make them happen. Incidentally, uh, kind of a meta commentary on how this format feels to me that I find pretty interesting is this feels comparable to original Innistrad, which was a very popular format. It was kind of beloved because of, uh, well, I think the best remembered decks are like the spider spawning deck that may or may not include Runic Repetition and Memory's Journey and the Burning Vengeance deck. A variety of build around decks that abuse self mill and the graveyard. But in reality, the most powerful and successful decks, really more the most successful rather than the most powerful decks in original Innistrad, were pretty clearly and decisively green white aggro. Uh, similarly, in this format, white aggro is kind of the baseline thing that wins a lot of matches, but uh, the build around graveyard uncommons are to me kind of the fun and memorable and unique parts of the format uh, and also very powerful when drafted correctly and you have the correct support early in Innistrad I think that like green white was kind of the runaway favorite and then as the format developed and more people had a better understanding of how to optimize the spider spawning decks I think a lot of players really wanted to try to be in the spider spawning deck whether the exact same thing is true in this format in terms of like are these uncommons consistently strong enough if you know how to go for them that you should go for them if you're just trying to win if you know when you could play like a white aggressive deck in a seat that would allow you to hard to know but i, I think that the structure is uh pretty interesting anyway in general decks with inevitability would like to play as many cheap interactive spells as possible. Uh, the In my last episode, I talked about how when you're playing five colors with a bunch of bombs and you just kind of assume that your power level is going to be higher than your opponent because you can cast all the rares, that you really want to fill your deck out with cheap removal spells. Unfortunately for this deck, it really wants to have a high creature count so that there are creature cards in your graveyard that you can exile to trigger your enchantments and you'd also kind of prefer that your cards cost more mana rather than less mana so that they're more effective for collecting evidence. So the structures around making your deck work are kind of opposite the natural incentives of the strategy of your deck which is a really difficult tension to balance but I do think it's possible. Similarly Spider spawning decks would probably prefer to be able to play a bunch of, you know, removal spells and uh, especially self-mill type spells, but every one of those that they play that isn't a creature cuts into their creature count, and milling one of your mill spells is a lot worse than milling one of your creature spells, so you end up wanting to play a little bit of support and a lot of creatures, and I think that these decks function kind of similarly where you do want to play some key high-impact instants and sorceries, but you also want to make sure uh, you have like a higher-than-you-might-otherwise-want creature count. So a lot of the like kind of filler three- and four-mana creatures and 
some of the common morphs that I tend not to prioritize by morphs. I'm always going to mean disguise creatures. Apologies. More, I'm going to be more likely to play those cards uh, in this archetype than I would normally be because of my desire to have the creature cards to support Insidious Roots and Chalk Outline. But those aren't the priorities. Those will always come around. You can get them at the end of the pack. You'll have as many as you need. So structurally, what you need is you need payoffs, uh, Insidious Roots and Chalk Outline being the primary ones. You need enablers, cards that help you get creature cards into your graveyard at a faster rate than simply playing a game of magic would. And enable and I guess the other half of enablers, like the it's an A plus B plus payoff combo. Like it's really an, I don't know. you need three parts. You need to fill your graveyard, you need to have a payoff, and you need ways to get things out of your graveyard. So the commons that are good at filling your graveyard are Rubble Belt Maverick, the green 1-1 one, one for a green, that uh, ETB surveil to, and then you can spend a green and exile from your graveyard to put a plus one plus one counter on something. Rubble Belt Maverick is the best overall common for this archetype. If you're going to be building around Chalk Outline and Insidious Roots, like if you expect to have, I'd say, two or more of those cards, then you likely want to take Rubble Belt Maverick over every other common in most cases. It is absolutely the backbone of this deck. The Surveil is extremely powerful here, and the fact that it can remove itself uh, for very little mana to trigger these things whenever you want to is huge. Uh, Snarling Gorehound and Projector Inspector are both also great uh, ways to fill your graveyard that are a little bit more engine-y. Snarling Gorehound is the black 1-1 menace. Whenever a creature with power two or less enters the battlefield under your control, surveil one. So both every time you trigger Roots or Chalk Outland and every time you cast most creatures, you get to surveil one. So you can both dig for your enchantments and fill your graveyard with creatures pretty easily. And then uh, Projector Inspector is the 3-2 uh, detective that loots whenever it uh, or another detective enters the battlefield. And that, of course, also helps dig the same way that Snarling Gorehound does, though it also participates in a combo with um, Chalk Outline and Curious Cadaver. Uh, Curious Cadaver being the 3-1 flying zombie detective that uh, when you sacrifice a clue, you return it from your graveyard to your hand, uh, so because Chalk Outline makes a detective, it will trigger your Projector Inspector, which will uh, let you draw and discard your Cadaver, and then Chalk Outline will have made a clue that you can sacrifice to return your Cadaver, which will trigger the Chalk Outline because a creature is leaving your graveyard, so you can just kind of spend two mana to draw a card and make a 2-2 as much as you want. Projector Inspector is generally good in a Snarling Gorehound type way, regardless of whether you have that combo. Uh, a lot of the creatures in this set, a lot of the creatures that you want to play are detectives, so you'll get more than the one trigger from Projector Inspector usually. Less good but notable enablers for getting stuff in your graveyard. Fairy Snoop, the blue-black morph 1-4 um, flyer that looks at two cards, puts one in your hand and one in your graveyard. Basilica Stalker, the 3-4 uh, flying morph that hits your, that uh, costs six or five to turn face up and surveils and gain a life, gains life when it hits your opponent. And Topiary Panther, the 
basically uncycling a cat plant, 6-5 trampler. Topiary panther is notably very, very good for turning on collect evidence early in addition to fixing and also setting up any kind of like reanimation effect. So pretty nice card for these decks. Uh, there are also uncommons that are good at doing this. Faster Leech, the 1-1 one, one, uh, Root Walla type creature. You can spend a black and one to give it plus two, plus two once a turn. And then when it hits your opponent, uh, you mill two cards. Aftermath Analyst, the three mana, one, three detective that uh, you can spend four mana and sacrifice it to return all your lands from your graveyard to the battlefield. Clandestine Meddler, the three mana, three, two that suspects something. And when a suspected creature attacks, surveils one. Furtive, uh, the rest of these are a little bit less good. Acceptable to play, synergistic, but you wouldn't always want them and you don't necessarily want to prioritize them. There's Candlestick, the uh, clue equipment that uh, the equipped creature surveils to, well, you surveil to when you attack with the equipped creature. Polygraph Orb, the five mana artifact that looks at the top four cards, puts two in your hand, two in your graveyard, lose two life, and then you can collect evidence three and spend two mana to make your opponent lose some stuff. And then Flotsam, the uh, cheap half of Flotsam and Jetsam that mills three and investigates. So you have a lot of options for cards that fill your graveyard. You're going to want a bunch of them. Um, and then you ideally would like cards that repeatedly remove something from your graveyard. And this is where you really need to prioritize some of these cards because the, uh, there is no common that lets you do this. So if you want to be able to trigger these enchantments every turn with something that can repeatedly collect evidence, which is the um, way to repeatedly trigger this outside of Curious Cadaver, then you're going to have to find an uncommon that collects evidence. Um, and your options are Hedge Whisperer, the uh, green 0-3 that can tap four mana and tap it, collect evidence four, I believe, um, to make a land of 5-5 creature as long as it remains tapped. Evidence Examiner, which is the uh, blue-green 2-2 that in investigates whenever you collect evidence and lets you collect evidence for at the beginning of combat. Uh, forensic Researcher, the 3-mana 1-3 that can tap to untap something or tap and collect evidence 3 to tap something. Sample Collector, the 3-mana uh, 2-3 that collect evidence 3 when it attacks, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on something aforementioned Curious Cadaver, and aforementioned Polygraph Orb. Those are your only options for uh, cards that let you um, trigger these things every turn. You would like to have, I'd say, two to three of those cards in total as a reasonable, uh, like, high priority. After that, there are some diminishing returns on it, like cards that collect evidence do compete with each other for total amount of evidence to collect. Although, uh, you know, some of them like Evidence Examiner and then also the 3-3 uh, three, three that makes Ithopter when you collect evidence do see each other. Oh, sorry, there, there is also Cryptics at Rare. Um, I'm not sure if there are any other rares. I, I'm talking about uncommons that you can expect to see. Cryptics, uh, the two-mana artifact, is actually a pretty good enabler in this deck if you get it. Um, certainly, I'd be happy to play that and that would count toward cards that would let my deck work. 
but uh, for, for the most part, I think you're looking to have, um, yeah, the, the, there are some other errors. I'm not going to get into listing all of them. You would like to have, I, I like I said, at least two to three of these wouldn't mind playing, you know, like five if I saw five of them, but I would not prioritize uh, as highly the um, additional uh, cards that let me do this. Notably, I think Sample Collector, the green 2-3, is the weakest of these, just because it has to be able to attack to let you collect evidence. And you generally care less what you're being offered and more just that you can do this at all, because really what you're here for is triggering these enchantments. So as to say, overall, priority rankings so far, top priority, Insidious Roots and Chalk Outline, those are the cards that are the reason to do this. If you see them in a spot where you can move into this strategy, uh, if you'd like, you can justify taking them over pretty much ever anything. And then once you have them and you are looking to do this, you definitely want them over everything. After that, your next priority is your first few enablers because the, the first few repeated collect evidence cards because uh, those are not cards you're guaranteed to see very many of in the draft. After that, you want your uh, good enablers, uh, Rebel Belt Maverick being probably the best among them, but then also Gorehounds and uh, Projector Inspectors and Aftermath Analysts. I think those are probably the best, the three best. And then beyond that, you want to balance your other enablers along with your one-shot things that get things out of the graveyard, which you can do at common. So uh, the commons that allow you to do this once, it's just uh, everything that collects evidence and uh, also exiles itself. Notably, Gravestone Strider, the two mana one three that filters mana. When it's in your graveyard, you can spend two mana and exile it to exile a card from a graveyard that can target a creature in your graveyard to uh, get two triggers, which is a big deal. Uh, double triggering is really huge. Also, be, um, because the Strider works from your graveyard rather than uh, you needing to draw it and cast it from your hand, you can find it by just milling, or you can discard it to Projector Inspector without ever needing to cast it. So you get a lot more free value out of that kind of thing. Uh, the only things that work from your graveyard in this way are Rebel Belt Maverick, Gravestone Strider, and uh, Curious Cadaver. They're kind of the best ways to deal with like getting stuff out of your graveyard. Um, this deck is very happy to play multiple Gravestone Striders if you have uh, multiple like roots and outlines. Oh, yes, Leering, Out uh, Leering, Leering Outlooker also works at Uncommon. Um, that's true. And is also very, very good, very high priority. Then beyond that, you have the common collect evidence cards, Bite Down on Crime, the uh, Bite spell that costs four, or you can collect evidence six to make it cost two. Creature gets plus two, plus zero, and deals damage equal to its power to another creature. I think Bite Down on Crime is the best removal spell available to this deck at common and should be drafted and prioritized over cards like Murder, even though I typically am very interested in uh, instant speed removal over sorcery speed removal. 
the advantage of bite down on crime both being able to trigger your roots and chalk outline as well as being able to be played for only two mana but counting as four for uh, collect evidence uh, by itself as well as the fact that it uh, synergizes really well with rot farm mortipede the four mana three four that gets uh, menace and lifelink when a creature leaves your graveyard so you can Use the collect evidence on bite down on crime to trigger your mortipede, and then fight something with your mortipede, which will cause it to be a six power life linker. So it'll kill the thing and gain six life, and then you can attack with a six power a six four menace creature with life link. So it can be like a twelve point life swing. I think that combo is very worth trying to include in this deck. Uh, I don't usually like cards that look like rat farm mortipede where like it's pretty bad on its surface and you have to jump through a considerable hoop to make it work but and i wouldn't even be that excited about it if i don't have bite down on crime but because i'm specifically looking to play four mana creatures anyway because they're so good for collect evidence four and i can play that combo and the life gain is very relevant in this format things come together such that the mortipede ends up being a card that I kind of want in my deck, and nobody else has any interest in it, so you'll see them very late. So for that reason, uh, I prefer prioritizing uh, Vitone and Crime most highly, followed by Extract a Confession, the one in a black sorcery that lets you collect evidence uh, and um, is an edict, but they have to sacrifice their most powerful creature if you collected evidence. The fact that that is cheaper than murder, so it's more likely to trade up on mana, lets you collect evidence, gets to ignore a ward, is enough to make me prefer it to the other common removal spells. This deck, again, because you really want to be prioritizing creatures, like I said, I think you want some removal spells. You do need to be able to deal with bombs and stuff, but I wouldn't, I, I would prefer to have somewhere in the three to four removal spells type range and i'd probably rather have be closer to two than five usually you know maybe you maybe you play like one murderer it's nice to have an instant speed removal spell uh or the sudden whatever the the blue four mana instant also works as kind of your one instant speed interaction could even play the blue bounce spell but mostly i want my removal to be those two collect evidence commons you also really want to minimize cards like Toxin Analysis and Slice from the Shadows and Green Combat Tricks because they both aren't creatures and don't contribute very much to collecting evidence. The best like three uh, and four mana common creatures that you're looking to fill out your... Well, three plus mana... Like I said, you need a bunch of random filler three and four mana creatures... I've already talked about the most synergistic cards that are the highest priority. Uh, as far as kind of rounding out your deck, you're looking for stuff like, um, I mean, obviously Projector Inspector and Fairy Snoop are the highest priorities, um, but then uh, Crime Stopper Sprite is an acceptable creature here because it can collect evidence. That's the 2-2 flyer that locks something down if you collected evidence. Cold Case Cracker uh, and Rot Farm Mortipede are the best four mana uh, creatures for the deck, but Loxodon Eavesdropper is very close. Those are the 3-3 three, three Flyer, the 3-4 that 
does the lifelink thing when you do the graveyard thing and uh eavesdroppers the three three that may, that investigates and then topiary panther of course beyond that you're pretty happy to play any of the random like filler morphs that cost four or more mana and just play them face down and trade off with them or play them face up and trade off with them or just get them in your graveyard somehow and don't really worry too much about them they're all acceptable filler cards just you know the the high casting cost is generally more of a feature than a bug for this archetype so you want fixing right because i'm basically you want to be able to prioritize taking the most synergistic cards you see and not worrying so much about color and so you're going to want to prioritize fixing because you're often going to want to like sometimes you will be base any two of green black splashing green blue black splashing the third color sometimes you'll just be even split so you want you want to prioritize some amount of fixing like escape tunnels but the strider goes a really long way to um making your mana work uh especially if you have multiple striders but then the fact that you want to prioritize fixing and that you keep wanting to take striders kind of regardless of how good your mana already is means that it's actually pretty easy for you to splash red or white cards into your Sultai graveyard deck structurally in terms of being able to cast them. But there are very few red or white cards that are actually synergistic in this archetype, so you usually don't want to. However, if you see any random really powerful bombs that are red or white, you certainly shouldn't hesitate to take them. Incidentally, uh, technically, the Vindicator, the angel that flips over to exile creatures, does interact with getting things out of your graveyard. So, I mean, that, card, that card's great. It would obviously be worth splashing basically regardless, but it's also, like, the only white card I can think of that's, like, directly synergistic with this archetype. I would generally want to avoid cards that cost both red and white mana in this archetype i think that would be pretty hard to cast but i do think that you know it's pretty easy to splash beyond sultai for powerful cards rather than just not taking them given how easy it is to support them and so this kind of came up when i was talking about five color decks and how a like an insidious roots deck could play five colors worth of spells, but would be drafted structurally very differently from five color in a way that uh, I would want to handle uh, on its own in a later podcast. So that's what I'm doing now. Hopefully it's clear that, you know, the mindset that you're in when drafting this archetype is pretty different from the mindset outlined um, with uh, the five color deck, which is why I think that, you know, even though either can play five colors, it's better to like, conceptualize them separately rather than as different variations on five color. So I think that basically covers uh, what I have to say about this. I'm going to turn it over to chat for instruction on what I should uh, get into more detail on. So I want to thank uh, the newest patrons, Jute and Austin. Thank you very much for the support and then uh, turn this over to chat for questions. Oh, and of course, uh, if you're interested in supporting the program, which I would very much appreciate, 
be sure to check out patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. All right, getting into questions. How do you feel about Gorehound in this archetype? Is it a bit too bad of a body slash too low CMC for this archetype? No, absolutely not. Uh, Snarling Gorehound is a really good card, and it's uh, very important to get like card selection and cards in your graveyard in this archetype. I think Snarling Gorehound is likely the second best common for this archetype after Rubble Belt Maverick, probably followed by Projector Inspector. I'm very, very interested in having Gorehounds in this deck in large numbers. What do you think about the Witness? One white, get a creature, uh, mana value three, back from the graveyard in this deck. If you had the right enablers and the mana wasn't you didn't have to go too far out of your way for the mana. I could certainly see it. It gives you a creature leaving the graveyard trigger. It also, this is uh, Call of Surprise Witness, I think. I'm interested in the flying part and the trigger. I would need to have the right the, the right bodies and the right mana, and I wouldn't want to go far out of my way for it, but I could see playing it. I, I have don't have experience with it. With most of the collect evidence stuff, having an even cost... Does that make you value four drop creatures more highly than three drop creatures? So some of the collect evidence stuff is three and some of it's four. And what really matters to me is what my specific repeated collect evidence number is. So if, if I have like researcher, sample collector, polygraph, orb, some combination of those, then I don't really care about having creatures that cost four over three. But if I have Hedge Whisperers and Evidence Examiners and I don't have the ones that collect Evidence 3, then I'm a lot more interested in specifically trying to find creatures that cost 4 or more. So you kind of want to choose which filler bodies you're prioritizing more highly as a function of which uh, uncommon collect Evidence cards you have. Uh, what's my perspective on Mill, not Surveil in this archetype? Things like Fester Leech, Shard of Broken Glass, and Flotsam. Uh, I think Shard of Broken Glass is a pretty bad card, and I would try not to play it just on power level, but I'm very interested in stuff like Aftermath Analyst and pretty happy with Flotsam, with Flotsam and Fester Leech isn't bad, though it is notably appreciably worse than Rebel Belt Maverick and Snarling Gorehound. Would I value Topiary Panther higher than usual for green land-based fixing? Yes, definitely. The um, high collect evidence in the graveyard and extra creature in the graveyard is extremely valuable. I've been happy playing four Topiary Panthers in this deck, which wouldn't be a priority in uh, five color normally. I have some thoughts on how to keep pace with aggressive go-wide decks. Yeah, I mean, highly prioritize the cheap creatures. Uh, so, you know, especially like Rubble Belt Maverick blocks pretty well. In general, you're looking to just like get creatures into play and trade off. You're kind of very, very happy to trade creature for creature at basically any point, which means that, um, you know, as long as you have like a decent curve of creatures that trade well, which is what you're trying to fill your deck with, then um, as long as you can keep a reasonably high life total by the time you start activating your enchantments, you should be in a position to take over. Is there an upper limit on roots or chalk outlines that you would want? No. I mean, there is like... Basically, the upper limit is reached when I would have to cut cards that allow these to function in order to play them, but I could simply cut other cards unless every card in my deck is a card that just directly contributes to their functionality. 
And if every card in my deck directly contributes to their functionality, then I probably have so many cards that do that that I can afford to play all of them. Like, technically, you wouldn't want, you know, 15 roots plus chalk outlines, but given that these are both uncommons and you're never going to have more than six or seven total of them, I think there's no functional upper bound. Would this deck want eight plus panthers if you saw them? No, eight is a lot of panthers. I would not want to go below 15 lands because I'd want to be sure that I could get the two lands to cycle the Panthers. And I wouldn't really want to go above like 20-ish total mana sources. So that puts a reasonably hard cap of five Panthers. I could see things that like made me go a little above that maybe, but it's it's getting hard. Do you ever run over 40 cards in decks like this with excessive looting from projector slash chalk outline combo? For the most part, no. I think Inspectors in May. I'm not I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Inspectors in May. So you don't have to worry about like accidentally decking yourself with it. And the problem with going over is you usually like drawing your roots, chalk outlines, mavericks, gorehounds and a few other cards are so much better than drawing the other cards that you don't really want to like lower your odds of drawing your like key cards in this archetype and like usually the only time when you like really aggressively mill yourself is when you're choosing to do that with gorehound and i think it's you can usually go off hard enough to win when you have your stuff together without like really being incentivized to like go off hard enough that decking yourself with becomes a concern with the gorehound. So I think it's not an archetype where you're usually going to want to go bigger. Um, oh, I didn't mention Nyxborn Weaver because it's, you know, on the list, but it is obviously a very good card in this archetype. I said this is more of a strategy, less of a color pair archetype. Have I found any cards in red that ended up playing well specifically in this sort of deck? No. How often do I surveil creatures to fill the graveyard even though I want to draw a spell? Pretty often. I'm pretty greedy and value the creatures being in the graveyard very highly. Also, anytime I surveil a creature to the graveyard, I'm increasing my chances of drawing one of the key enchantments that I'm looking for. Given how dependent this strategy is on keeping the enchantments in play, Insidious Roots and or Chalk Outline, what does Plan B look like in this set? Uh, possible failure states for this sort of strategy is getting my object disenchanted or them happening to be in the bottom 10 cards of the deck. How do you mitigate this? You're a deck full of creatures with like card selection and a reasonable curve, and you also have like other synergies just in the form of like using collect evidence and enabling collect evidence not to mention like the mortipede plus um uh bite down on crime synergies and stuff like that so i mean the answer is play a normal game of magic and hope for the best as long as you you know have like a reasonable curve and stuff you can just like happen to beat people um obviously you know, any deck is going to lose more when it fails to draw its best cards than when it does draw its best cards, but it's not really different than, like, drafting a control deck around a bomb, and sometimes the bomb's in the bottom of your deck. Uh, if anything, it's less of a concern here because this deck, you know, is better at seeing more cards. How aggressively are taking roots slash chalk outline? Like, would I pack one, pick one, then over coerce to kill, or even a bomb rare? 
just depends on whether I feel like doing it, but I think that you would probably win more often by first picking Coerced Kill or a Bomb Rare over Roots and Outline. Uh, I would be more likely to prioritize Roots than Outline early in the draft. Uh, would I hedge into this archetype without seeing the uncommon payoffs first? It's difficult to do, right? So, like, you can't really hedge into this archetype without seeing an uncommon, either Outline or Roots, or one of the repeated collect evidence cards. The way that you can hedge into the archetype is by prioritizing something like Forensic Researcher or Evidence Examiner or Hedge Whisperer, and then prioritizing cards that help give you evidence to take more advantage of that card, and then knowing that you're incidentally positioned to take advantage of Roots or Outline if you see them. I think that would be reasonable. Uh, you can also, if you want, prioritize Rubble Belt Maverick because it's like a pretty good card with super high upside if you end up with one of those enchantments to enable. But you kind of need to see those things. You can, I mean, I guess it's less actively try to get into this lane and more identify which cards have the upside of letting you flex into this if you see one of those cards early pack two or middle of pack one and maybe taking like projector inspector slightly more highly than you would just for its role in a detective deck because you're like oh this also has this other upside i could pivot into so i'll take projector inspector default to drafting blue white or bant detectives maybe pivot into the graveyard deck if things come together, maybe stay detectives if they don't. And then, you know, you can take like Rubble Belt Maverick as reasonable support for your Bant detective deck that also helps pivot into this if it comes together. But I think for the most part, you know, the time when you're really going to be in this like mindset is when you see one of the uncommon enchantments. But there are some ways to kind of like dabble in this space without giving up too much and then see if like it happens to come together early before you like pivot into like a different strategy based on what you're what you are seeing how do you feel about generically good green commons like nervous gardener and locks it on eavesdropper in this deck would i take them over some of the weaker synergy cards no i like nervous gardener is a really good card but it's really annoying that it doesn't contribute very much to your collect evidence and it usually wants to be played as a morph and you'd usually rather play a morph that has a higher cost and your mana is usually relatively conservative. Like you're usually going to be in three colors. And so I think it's a pretty bad nervous gardener deck. I, um, but like if I'm getting more aggressive with this, my splashing, like it's a strong card, so I wouldn't mind playing it. Locks on eavesdropper is, you know, on my list of acceptable filler four mana cards um but like as far as comparing it to like weaker synergy cards like i think i would typically rather have a rot farm mortipede than a lock set on eavesdropper in this deck but it's like pretty close and doesn't matter very much when the 17 lands win rate is for a card is much lower than my evaluation is the difference a good indication of how hard it is to build uh the right deck for it slash how how skill intensive that deck is yeah more or less i mean i i mostly think it's uh good example i mostly think it indicates that playing the card when not properly supported or 
attempting to support it incorrectly uh, is pretty disastrous. And um, like, yeah, mostly it strongly indicates something along the lines of like drafting in this space is difficult. How many copies of roots slash outline do you need for a reasonable build? Is one copy enough? One is, you know, like if you got one early and you drafted around it and you only have one, like you just kind of have to, like that's what you have and hopefully your other synergies are good enough. Uh, you would prefer more. What would it take for you to play Curse, Case the Uneaten Feast and or Relive the Past in this archetype? Case the Uneaten Feast is very hard to pull off. Uh, that's the rare one mana white fee- case that uh, is great when it's solved but requires gaining five life in a single turn to solve. I guess... I mean, the answer is I would need to have some number of Sanguine Saviors. So, like, if I saw Case early to mid in the draft after I already had two Sanguine Saviors, I could see going out of my way to try to do that thing. Relive the Past is the seven mana sorcery. I think that one's, like, reasonably good if you have, you know, like, three each of artifact and enchantment with like a decent number of like gorehounds and stuff. That one's not super hard to splash in this deck. Is pick your poison main deckable? I have not been playing it main. It doesn't sound like a horrible card to play main sometimes. I would very much not want to play it main in this archetype for the same reason that I would not want to play cards like toxin analysis and slice from the shadows. Do I play a board wipe? In limited, if you can, you do. There may be some exceptions that if your deck is extremely aggressive in anything remotely like this archetype, any sort of board wipe would be great. How early are you looking to take Mavericks and Striders in general? How much does that change after you have one payoff? I I, I think the answer fundamentally is it changes dramatically. If I have one payoff, I'm taking them over almost everything. And if I don't believe that I'm drafting a deck that like cares about doing the graveyard stuff, then I'm not particularly prioritizing either one of them. So the answer is, I'm not prioritizing them unless I think my graveyard matters in this way. Then I prioritize them over actual actual everything. And so what that means about early in the draft before I have something established is that I view them as cards with a high ceiling, and so I'll take them over other filler, but I don't view them as like independently powerful. So like if there's a card that has you know, a significantly higher floor, I would like a meaningfully higher floor, like a card that's appreciably above replacement in some large portion of the possibility space of where I expect to end up in from where I am in that draft, then I would probably take that thing over the card that's only good in this deck if I think that I'm like relatively likelihood to end up in this deck. How quickly do you need to commit to the archetype when drafting? Do you take roots or outline over really good early picks? to focus early. There isn't a need. You could, for example, pass them and draft in a way where you could pivot into the archetype if no one else at the table wants them and do it if you like table them. Or you could just take them and draft around them if you care about ending up here or there's nothing else particularly valuable. Because a lot of the cards this archetype wants are not cards that most people want. There aren't like strict rules about 
when in the pack you would like expect to see them. So how aggressively you have to take them in practice is going to vary significantly from table to table. And like how early you should commit is really a question of like how strong your preferences about archetypes are, how likely you are to want to pivot out of it in terms of, again, just the like risk reward, like the risk reward calculation about how good a certain pick is, is very strongly a function of the probability that you'll end up in any given archetype, which is going to vary very strongly from player to player such that like how early should I commit to trying to do this is personal rather than categorical. Like it's advice that needs to be very personalized rather than generalized. Um, so not answerable. And with that, I think I'm going to wrap it up. So uh, thanks everyone for listening. I will be back next week with another topic i do not know which yet um we've certainly covered the uh decks that i've drafted most so far but i'm also you know now i i was kind of going a little bit out of my way to prioritize these in drafting the last couple of days uh to make sure that i like totally understood them and because i've been kind of obsessed with insidious roots just in general across a variety of formats um but uh, there, there's still a lot um, to explore and a lot of other archetypes that I'm interested in drafting and talking about in this set. So looking forward to that. Also, this weekend, I will be at MagicCon Chicago. I imagine many of you will be as well. Uh, if you see me there, feel free to say hi. Um, I will also have decks on me in a variety of formats. Uh, I will largely be busy, but I would also be pretty enthusiastic about uh, especially playing games of weird niche formats. I expect to be bringing old school, pre-modern CDH and standard decks. So um, if anyone likes to play any of those uh, weird formats and you happen to catch me when I have some time, uh, I'd be happy to battle. All right. Uh, have a good weekend. Enjoy MagicCon, everyone who's going to be there. Have a good week, whatever amount of time, and I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Prepare for light speed.